Well, good morning, church. It's uh, good to be back with you this morning. Um, it was great uh, being gone last week, uh, but I did definitely miss you guys, and I'm excited to wrap up our John the Baptist uh, sermon series as we've been going through the life of him and how he prepared the way and pointed people to Jesus with everything that he had. And it's been um, an encouraging journey for me just to reflect and look and say, how am I continually pointing people to Jesus with everything that I have? And it's really been um, great for my spirit, my heart, as I prepare for Resurrection Sunday, next Sunday. Um, with that being said, today's Palm Sunday. This is the day where Jesus entered into Jerusalem and uh, was being anointed as a king, but they didn't recognize uh, what kind of king he was going to be throughout his whole ministry. And there's something that we have to recognize in regards to Palm Sunday. It's a, it's a day of celebration, but if you look at the context of the situation, it's actually a day where it's full of, of actually gr uh, grief um, and sadness uh, as Jesus actually says in the scriptures that as he's entering into Jerusalem, he actually weeps over the city. And he weeps over the city because even though they're anointing him as king, they don't recognize who he is, what kind of king he's going to be. And he's actually weeping over the reality that many are going to reject him and reject the type of king that he is. And they're going to actually eventually um, crucify him. And to be honest with you guys, like for me, um, this week, it's been a weeping week. For many of you, you already know what took place this last week when it comes to uh, Nashville. And as um, we watched video of what was going on in Nashville, I was overwhelmed and still am, as you can tell, by just emotion. Watching um, evil take place, watching kids be murdered again it was difficult still is difficult and with that um, I was overwhelmed with the reality that um, watching police officers run towards gunfire um, it was on Wednesday that I just felt Compelled as I watched uh, four different police officers go into Maverick gas station, I just went up to them and I just said, thank you for all that you do. Reminded of, of, of what they do for us in protecting us and protecting kids in that situation. It, it caused me to be thankful for teachers and administrators um, as I read the detailed account of what the principal of that school actually did. And the police officer said, I can't go into details over what she did, but essentially they said that she did everything by the book in regards to what happens during an active shooting situation. And that she probably saved dozens of kids' lives as she did the things that she needed to do and confronted the attacker as well. Caused me to be thankful for my kids' administration because I know they would do the same. And I know that they would do the same um, because they do ridiculous things for my youngest son, Theo, on a lighthearted note. Like, for example, almost every single week, Theo comes home with a band aid on his arm. 
He has completely decimated their Band-Aid budget, I'm guessing, when it comes to the nurses. Because when I ask him what happened, he goes, oh, I got a scratch. And then when I remove the Band-Aid, there is no scratch. But he feels better. I'm reminded of our own security and what they would do. And uh, I know for all the people in the community that I am a part of, I'm just thankful um, for how they love and they lead and they lay their lives down in the midst of confronting darkness. And for all of us, I think we're asking ourselves this question is, um, what do we do when we see pain in the world? What do we do when we see pain in the world? And honestly, what am, what are, what am I doing with the pain that I'm experiencing? And how am I processing that pain? And the big question we're going to ask ourselves this morning is, as we experience pain, as we ex- see pain, um, and as we look at John the Baptist's life, is here's the thing, the question I want to ask is, what do we do when Jesus doesn't do what we want him to do? What do we do when Jesus doesn't do what we want him to do? If you've got your Bibles, I'd love you free to turn to Matthew chapter 11. We are nearing the end of John the Baptist's life. John the Baptist is, is nearing the end of his life, and, and Jesus is in the midst of continuing his ministry, and his ministry is, is growing and expanding, and as Joel talked about last week, he did a great job. He's talking about the reality that John says, I must decrease, Jesus must what? He must increase. And that's actually what's taking place. And it says in Matthew chapter 11, that after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. Now when John, who was in prison, when did John get in prison? John got into prison because he's actually calling out Herod, King Herod, because he's having a marriage that's actually built on adultery. And as John's calling that out, obviously that makes waves. They don't like hearing about it. And even though Herod was actually uh, in some ways close to John the Baptist, it says that he actually gets thrown in prison over it. And so John's in prison. And it says that he had heard about the deeds of the Messiah. And so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? So let's just recap that. John's in prison. He's in prison for calling out adultery. And as he's hearing about all the deeds of the Messiah and how the ministry is expanding, Jesus is increasing, John the Baptist is decreasing, he's beginning to ask the question, are you the one who is to come? Are you the Messiah or should we expect somebody else? Why is John asking, are you truly the one? The one I've been pointing to people, I've been pointing people to you this entire time. Are you truly the Messiah? Why is John asking this question? Here's the reason why. John is having doubts. John is having doubts. John's expectations are different than what Jesus is going to do. His presuppositions about the type of Messiah, the type of king that he is, don't line up with the reality of what Jesus is actually going to execute. Deeds of the Messiah. He's healing people. 
setting people free free of all sorts of different things and you almost can kind of tell that john's asking the question what about me what about me jesus i'm here in prison are you the one or should we be expecting somebody else i'm in here experiencing pain i'm in here held captive what about me are you the one you have to believe that there were moments where john is angry where john is sad where john is frustrated where john is disappointed because he had a plan And what he wanted Jesus to do, what he thought Jesus was going to do, it's not lining up. What do you do when Jesus doesn't do what you want him to do? Verse 4, Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. And Jesus says, The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Now, if you were here a couple months ago, you already know what Jesus is doing. For those of you that weren't here a couple months ago, uh, Jesus is doing what, what rabbis and disciples do, is a lot of times they don't answer the question directly. They answer the question by actually quoting scripture. And so Jesus is actually quoting two Old Testament passages to declare to John that he is who who you think I am, I am the Messiah. And he quotes it using Isaiah uh, two chapters. What are they, Deb? Isaiah chapter 35 and 61. When he comes, the Messiah, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. It's part of Jesus' answer. Then he also quotes Isaiah 61.1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Do you recognize some of the phrasing in Jesus' answer? But what Jesus also does is he leaves out part of Isaiah 61, verse 1. When he tells John, I am the one, he quotes these two passages, but he leaves out the last part of verse 1. What's the last part of verse 1? He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. And so you have to imagine that John's sitting in prison and he hears the answer back from Jesus and he goes, oh, I know that. I know that. That's Isaiah chapter 35 and Isaiah chapter 61. Jesus is going to give me the answer that I want. And he's waiting on the last part of verse 1. And Jesus doesn't say it. What's he saying to John? John, I am the one. I am the Messiah. But you're not getting out. You're not getting out. What do we do when Jesus doesn't do what we want him to do? Here's what I want you to recognize this morning. We cannot minimize the fact that John is reaching out to Jesus we cannot minimize this fact that John is reaching out to Jesus that this step 
is actually crucial in understanding how we actually begin the process of working through when Jesus doesn't do what we want him to do. Obviously, if it were up to John, he would have had a face-to-face to Jesus. But he doesn't have that ability. So he sends his disciples. And he reaches out to, uh, to Jesus to ask him the difficult questions. John doesn't internalize what's going on inside of him alone. He doesn't hold back from Jesus. He doesn't hold back from his disciples. John is actually reaching out to Jesus and he's actually sharing his pain with Jesus. And in the same way, when you are in these moments where you are asking Jesus, Jesus, why don't you do what I want you to do? Why did you not keep this tragedy from happening? Whether it's across the nation or in your own life, Would you be willing to do the same that John does? And what does John do? John begins to process his pain with Jesus. You must keep sharing your pain with Jesus. And what makes that difficult is when you begin to share your pain with Jesus, you begin to process things honestly that are that are hard to face. <laughs> you, you face belief systems that you didn't know you necessarily had. You face emotions that, that you go, I, can I actually feel that towards Jesus? Can I actually believe that towards Jesus? And I want to tell you, the answer to that is, yes, you can And if you don't believe me, I want to encourage you to just spend some time in the book of Psalms. Spend some time in the book of Lamentations. Spend some time in the book of Job. Where these are human beings that are pouring out everything to the God of the universe. I think it's the reason why David is known as a man after God's own why? Because David poured out his heart to God. Was he perfect? No, he was not a perfect man, a very troubled man, especially the latter half of his life. But that man poured out his pain to the Lord, his questions, his doubts. Lord, where are you? It's been in my life where I've experienced some of my most difficult things, experiencing the, being the child of a, of a family, mom and dad who divorced, my own trauma that took place within my own family, facing anxiety and depression. It is in these moments of my greatest pain and my greatest hurt that I have to be thrust into processing that pain to Jesus. Because honestly, if I don't, I won't keep going. <laughs> and you won't keep going. And as difficult as it is, it's what is actually the pathway to experiencing all that God has for us. Jesus goes on to say, verse 6, he said, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Um, I don't have um, a degree in translating Greek, but this is what my translation is of what I hear Jesus saying. Jesus says, Blessed are you who do not stumble when I don't do what you expect. When I don't do what you expect, blessed are you who do not stumble. 
Is there room in your faith for Jesus not to answer your question the way you would like him to? Or is Jesus only your God because he gives you what you think you always need or what you always want? Is he a genie in the bottle? Do you just rub the lantern and he gives you what you want? Or is God bigger than that? He goes on to say, verse 7, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. And Jesus says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who fear fine clothes are, king, are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger out ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And truly I tell you, among those born of women, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, Jesus says. Jesus reaffirms the greatness of John the Baptist. He is who you thought he was. But then Jesus turns to the crowd. He turns to the listeners and he says this. Listen to this. Yet whoever is least, everybody say least this morning. Whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. The word least, it is a picture of servanthood to Jesus. This isn't a slam on John the Baptist. Instead, I think it's a continuation of the proclamation of John's footsteps, that he was actually called to serve the great one whose sandals he couldn't even untie, he said. I'm not worthy to baptize this man, Jesus. And the question that we got to ask ourselves as Jesus turns his attention to the crowd and listeners, as he proclaims the greatness of John, he then looks to the rest of the crowd and says, but listen, if you're willing to be the least, if you're willing to serve, you'll be greater than and at the core of this, we have to ask ourselves this question. Is are we willing to continue on in the footsteps of John, of being someone who's pointing someone to Jesus? A disciple who's laying his life down, pointing people to Jesus, serving Jesus. And that when we do that, when we choose to actually yield our hearts, yield our will to Jesus and his vision for our life, no matter what that looks like, it's in that moment that Jesus' greatness is actually manifested in our life. You must keep yielding your will to Jesus because it is the yielded heart that allows Jesus' greatness to be manifested in your life. And Jesus says this over and over again, that the greatest are the least, that the first shall be last. And this is where Jesus' life is actually manifested. But you can't get to a yielded heart until you're willing to go through the process of processing your pain with Jesus. In order to get to that moment where you can actually yield, where you can surrender, where you can submit, is you have to be willing to do what John did. You have to be willing to go, Jesus, are you who you say you are? Because I'm hurting and I don't understand. It's only then that you can get to a yielded heart and it's the yielded heart that enables us to continue to love and to serve and to hope unto others as Jesus did. And here's the thing. Jesus did the same exact thing for us. 
He went into the garden and faced the cross that we are going to experience again on Friday. And it was in the garden where Jesus said, if there is another way, Lord, I'd like to know about that. But if there isn't another way, may your will be done. What did Jesus do? He processed and cried out to God in his pain. And then he yielded his heart to the Father and endured the cross. Paul says that he became a bondservant. And what Jesus is inviting us into is the same process. The same process. How do we do this? I think Hebrews 10 tells us how we do this. The writer says this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Verse 24, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So first, let's hold on to hope. <laughs> let's hold on to hope and the hope we profess. And then out of that, let us consider how we can look around and spur one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. When Jesus doesn't do what we expect him or what we want him to do, it requires us to process our pain to him. It requires us to yield our hearts to him. It also requires us to be committed to one another and continue to point ourselves to the hope that we call, the hope that we proclaim, and we've got to do it in relationship with one another. We can't do it by ourselves. I need other people to call out the hope from within. I need other people to encourage me when I'm down. I need to continue to be reminded of the gospel and the hope in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the valley that I go through. And so for you this morning, if you've come this morning and you're struggling, I want to tell you, don't quit. Don't quit crying out to Jesus. Don't quit opening that Bible every single morning. Even when you don't feel like it. Cry out to Jesus. Don't quit, don't quit praying for the spouse that's struggling with their faith or even believing. Don't quit going to home group and telling your home group the real honest truth about where you're at with Jesus and where you're at with your faith. Don't quit laying your life down for the brothers and sisters that you serve. Don't quit discipling your kids, even though they've gotten to that age where they're getting more and more distant from you. Don't quit praying for them. Don't quit discipling them. Don't quit pursuing your spouse, even when they are at times unlovable. Don't quit praying. Don't quit praying for the person that you invite to Easter and they don't show up next week. Don't quit hoping and believing in the gospel that Jesus put in your heart. Because Jesus, even though he doesn't do what we want him to do, 
it does not mean he is still not king and Lord because he says, I will wipe away every tear. And as we get ready for Easter, we cannot forget this message. Death does not have the final answer. So wherever you're at this morning, just know that there is a God who hears you and sees you in the midst of the pain that you face. And you might be asking, are you really the one? Jesus says, I am. But you gotta keep trusting me. As we get ready to take communion this morning, I just wanna ask you these questions. What pain do you need to process with Jesus? Because some of you have been internalizing your pain. You've been carrying your pain alone for maybe decades, to be honest. And Jesus wants you to pour it out to him. Where do you need to yield your will to Jesus? And where do you need to have hope again? And as we come to the table, I want you to be reminded as we take communion this morning, we have a God that sits with us at the table. No matter where we're at, he sits with us. And he wants to sit with you and have a meal with you this morning. Let's spend some time with Jesus.